following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Good morning to all of my family here at Faith Fellowship, our friends around the world that are listening on the internet today, and uh, I thank you for being with us this morning as uh, we get ready to dig deep into God's Word. And um, I'm very excited about what God's Word tells us this morning. And to be honest, I was just telling Cindy, I said, man, the Holy Spirit has to work here because I'm not sure I've done God justice and honor this morning. I don't know if I'm... I don't know, I just have some trepidation. So the Holy Spirit, I'm asking, is to be with us this morning. Um, before we start, did I tell you I love you this morning? And I like you. But you know, I say that, but you realize that God loves you in a way that's more incalculable than we can even comprehend. You know? We sometimes don't like people because they can be unlovable. In God's eyes, what are we? You know, sinners. And yet he came, he took the form of man to take our sin burden, to give us access to heaven and be with the Father. So, this morning as we go to begin, I'd, I'd like to open us up in prayer, so if you would, if you just uh, go with me in prayer this morning. Father Lord, we just come here this morning with open ears and open hearts. Lord, I ask the Holy Spirit to be in here and move with, with in each and every one of us this morning. Wiping away the, the cares and the concerns and the troubles that we might be having. Lord, there are so many people in this church today that are sick. Families are sick with COVID and flus and physical ailments as we start to mature in our age. Lord, I just pray for the folks that can't be here for whatever reason. That Lord, you touch them this morning, giving them the hope and peace and comfort of knowing that you are God and that you're with them at all times. And they can talk to you, worship and thank you and praise you, and bring our prayers to you. Lord, what, a, what an awesome gift that you give us. Father, Lord, we just uh, we pray for our community. We live in these are troubling times. You know, the, the Lord, you know, the elections are preying on people's minds and we, we're living in a time that people say we're, it's divisive, but it could even become more divisive. And Lord, I just know that your ways are perfect. And however the outcomes of this week's elections and just the things that go on in our lives, we, we realize that it's according to your will. And it's your perfect will. And Lord, I just ask that you give us the, the understanding that what we want is often at odds with what you want. And Lord, I ask the Holy Spirit, give us comfort and rest knowing that you are perfect in all ways. 
Father, Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity this morning to teach your word. And it's in your son Jesus' most precious and magnificent name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, this morning I I wanted to start off with um, two verses from Scripture. We had a leadership um, retreat the last couple of days. And Second Chronicles 7.14 just kept resonating with me. And I think it resonates with me, but it should resonate with us as a nation. And it says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. Is there not action required on our part? Where's Ray? That would be a verb. It's an inside joke. (laughs) But there's action that's required on our part. But this morning I was also, I had the privilege of a, I belonged to a yacht club and we sponsored Sea Scouts and they had a big regatta. There was 14 different groups from all over the United States here this morning and they asked me to do an interfaith message and as I was sitting there and the sun was blue wind was nice Psalm 118.24 came to me and I think this should be our prayer also this is the day that the Lord has made let us rejoice and be glad in it as Christians We have everything in the world to rejoice. We have everything in heaven to rejoice for. So wipe off the sour faces this morning, okay? Let We talked about this the other day, the the leadership meeting. We should be shining. Our faces should be radiating the love of God. And that's so important. Well, today's message I've titled... Little things have big impact. And uh, as I was preparing, I I came across a bunch of thoughts that just kept resonating in my head. And, you know, I think today I would say that Jesus really came preaching one message. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And then what Jesus would do as he was preaching, he backed it up 31 separate times with distinct stories that give us a snapshot of what the kingdom of heaven is like and what the kingdom of God is. And we call these things parables. They're stories placed down beside truths to illustrate the truth, to clarify things, to make things easier for us to understand. A few weeks ago, we talked about the parable of the soil and the four different kinds of hearts that the gospel missions can fall on. And the first one was the indifferent heart, and then we talked about an uncommitted heart, and then a distracted heart, and then the receptive heart. Well, this morning I pray that we have a receptive heart. 
And we're going to look at the uh, study of two parables in Luke chapter 13, verses uh, 18 to 21. But I, I need to give you some backdrop. When we think about the kingdom, I sometimes wonder what was on the minds of the people who were listening to Jesus Christ. They might have been thinking about the Assyrians or the Babylonians who six or seven hundred years earlier had torn down the cities and torn down the temple and they had raped and slaughtered tens of thousands of people and then carried off many of the survivors into captivity. Some of them might have been thinking about the Greeks who had committed atrocities, including uh, a guy named Antoninus who slaughtered a pig and put it on the Holy of Holies. Or maybe the Romans, who ruled the entire known world at that time with an iron fist. Some of them might have been thinking about the kingdom of Israel in the glory days under King David and King Solomon. In fact, what I believe more in point is that they've been thinking that the promised Messiah would come and do away with the Romans and reestate the kingdom that they had enjoyed with so much power and splendor and the favor of God. But instead, what Jesus was painting was a completely different picture than what they've been hoping for for over a thousand years. The kingdom Jesus talked about would dominate the world. But not in this political or military sense, not in an economic sense, And certainly, like I said, not in a military sense at all. So what was the kingdom then? What is the kingdom of God? Now, did Jesus mean the kingdom is not in this world? No, he said the kingdom is not of this world. It's a different kind of kingdom with a different set of values and a different set of rules and a different objective. He didn't say that his kingdom wouldn't be in this world, just not of this world. And Jesus came to usher in a new kingdom. He was, and he is to this day, the king. He is the king. And Jesus inaugurated the kingdom when he came the first time. You believe that? And then he will consummate it when he comes the second time. I want you to make no mistake of this. God's kingdom is mighty and powerful. You know, when we look at the kingdom that Jesus came when he started, when he first came, where he introduced, it started small. Started with 12 guys. But its influence and its dominance has spread literally throughout the world over 2,500, well, 2,400 years later. Jesus, people know who Jesus Christ is. Even if you don't believe in him, you know who he is. You've heard people, who's Jesus? Well, you get a thousand different answers. But, What we're looking at this morning is the idea that it doesn't take big things all the time to make a difference. You know, God often uses the small things in his kingdom. 
there's a passage of scripture that's found in Zechariah 4.10. And the background is Zechariah is receiving a vision concerning the work of a man named Zerubbabel in restoring the temple. And the angel asks this, Who has despised the day of small things? Now, Mario just clapped. The truth of the matter is, I believe we have an America today. I really do. We've come to believe that bigger is always better. We tend to recognize and respect and remember those things in life that are big when we tend to give little thought to the small things. Our secular world today is mandated by the big I and the little you syndrome. It's all about me. Forget the little guy. You know what? And the devil loves to use this false theology. He uses it against us as Christians by saying things to us like this. You're not good enough. You're not significant. You don't have enough money. You don't have enough talent. You're just not important enough to be used by God in any meaningful way. Resonate any of those with anybody? That's the devil. When it comes to spiritual matters, bigger isn't always better. God does not look at the outward appearance of us. Where does he look? He looks at our hearts. He looks at our hearts. There was an American philosopher, his name was Hubbard. He said this, God will not look you over for medals, degrees, or diplomas, but for scars. So that brings us to the text this morning found in the book of Luke, chapter 13. If you have a copy of God's Word, it's Luke 13. We'll be looking at verses 18 to 21. And if you don't have it, it's on the screen. Thank you, Mary. And verse 18 says this, What is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in the garden. And it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Those are, at face value, we understand them. But you kind of got to dig down. There's some subtle nuances in there that you don't want to miss. And Jesus tells these two parables back to back. The parable of the mustard seed and the second one, the parable of the leaven. So in the first parable, he says, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? Now, I'm not trying to be cavalier about this at all, but I think Jesus was probably looking around at the folks. And he's saying, let me see. And he sees a mustard bush. And there's no... Con- I'll say this to begin with. There is nothing 
the Bible does not contradict itself. Mustard bushes are normally what happens. We tend to think they grow into trees. They can grow to be about eight foot tall if they're horticultural and all that stuff, but they're really bushes. So he's looking at this bush and he says, it's like the mustard seed, which a man took and put in his garden, and it grew and became a large tree. And the birds of the air nested in its branches. Now remember that. Remember that. In this first example, Jesus is saying, God's working is like a mustard seed. When a man took it and planted it in his garden, he took care of it, it grew, it became a bush or a tree, and the birds of the air perched in its branches. Now, if you go back to Matthew 13, 19, birds are always represented as the evil one. So God plants this bush, and who's there? The evil one. To confuse, confound, to give us doubts. You see, the mustard seed, and I didn't have, I couldn't get a picture, but I think Mary had one on the initial slide. A mustard seed is very, very small. You can see it up there. And, and I've seen a picture of a bag of mustard seeds, and they actually look like a coffee grounds. And to get one, I'm told you have to kind of like wet the tip of your finger and let it stick to your finger because they're so small you really can't pick them up. And, and the mustard seed was the smallest seed ever sown by first century farmers in Israel. And have you ever heard the expression, that person has a pea brain? I think in Jesus' day they might have said, that person has a mustard seed brain. Maybe Mary even said after they misplaced Jesus for 12 hours, Joseph, you mustard seed brain. How'd you leave him there? But here's the comparison in the parable. Even though the mustard seed is the smallest seed, it grew into one of the largest herbs grown in that area at the time. And if they were well taken care of, they could grow to be between 8 and 12 foot tall and have limbs so that big birds could come in and nest in it. So we have the first comparison that Jesus is making. He says, I'm taking something very small and making something very large out of it. Verse 20 says, and again he says, to what shall I liken the kingdom of God? Now, I'm probably reading between the lines here, but I'm thinking that Jesus thought maybe they really weren't getting it. So he's going to give them another illustration. And again, he uses something that they were accustomed to seeing. Jewish ladies of the time, because of the lack of preservation, they had to bake bread every day. And in ancient Egypt, uh, Israel, I'm sorry, Bread was leavened, and I checked, I had to figure this out because I didn't know. You know how bread is leavened? Leavening is a fermentation process. It's a fermentation process. It's a chemical breakdown of a substance by bacteria and yeast or other microorganisms. So after making a batch of bread dough, 
The woman will allow a little bit of the dough to sit and absorb all the wild yeast spores that were in the air. And the next time they made some dough, they would add just a tiny bit of leaven to modify or transform something for the better. But leaven is what? Leaven actually degrades. It decomposes. It's fermenting. And in Scripture, leaven is always is usually used as not a good sign. So in other words, to leaven means to permeate or to modify or to transform something. And Jesus in verse 21 says, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of a meal till it was all leavened. So even though that original ball of small yeast, it was small, it would have great influence. It would keep affecting things. So what was Jesus teaching? It wasn't, he wasn't giving them how to be a gardener, a horticultural lesson. He wasn't giving them a baking lesson. He was revealing what I believe to be a kingdom truth. And it was this. That the Jewish religious leaders of the time, they were holding on to dead traditions. And they were opposing the truth. However, God's living kingdom will increase and Satan would be defeated. To paraphrase it, I think, when it comes to spiritual things, God uses small things to do big stuff. When God wanted to create a new nation to call his own, um, what's going on here? He didn't use a large established family, did he? Instead, he went to Abraham and Sarah, who appeared to be too old to have any kids. And when God wanted to lead the people out of slavery in Egypt, he used Moses, who was rejected by his people and felt he was a failure, and he spent years keeping sheep. When God decided to send rain at the end of the drought in the days of Elijah... He used a cloud about the size of a man's hand, it's recorded, to declare the sound of abundance rain. In the New Testament, when Jesus wanted to feed 5,000 people, he used a small boy's lunch to do it. When Jesus was watching people give, you know what? He was not impressed by big donors. Remember who impressed him? The widow and her might. When God came to earth, when Jesus came as human, he didn't choose to be rich and famous. I have, you know, the most powerful family in Israel at the time. He could have. But what did he choose? He came to come be born as a baby in a barn to a poor family living in Nazareth. And as you read in the scripture, what good can come out of Nazareth? It wasn't an accident. God knew what he was doing. He knows what he's doing every day. And we question God. 
Like I said, when it comes to spiritual thing, God uses small things to do big stuff. What we might see as too small, too insignificant to matter, God sees something He wants to use to accomplish His purpose. His purpose. So I want to give you a couple of scriptures this morning. I'm sorry I didn't put them on the screen, but you can write them down. I'll go slow. And, and I, want you, I want you to think about these scriptures. Maybe when you go home, look them up. But I give them to you so you can see that when doing the Lord's work, you need to keep some of these scriptures in mind. And there are three of them. The first one is 1 Corinthians verse 12, verses 26 and 27. And the Apostle Paul wrote these words. He says in 26, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. Who did Jesus call? Fishermen. Tax collectors. People with very low standing in the community. But he called them. Me? I would have called like the best and brightest. You know, when you start a business, you try to get the best and brightest around you. <laughs> Jesus said, I'm enough. I'm the best and brightest. Just follow me. Come. I will teach you. It's, it's amazing what he does. In the book of Zechariah, in chapter 4, the angel cho- uh, told Zechariah the following message for Zerubbabel, and he recorded it in verse 6. So it's Zechariah 4 6. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. That's amazing, isn't it? The obstacles that we put in our lives, we turn it over to God, and he flattens them down or gives us a means to go around or through them. We don't have to do it on our own. I want to give you something this morning that you should keep in mind. And it kind of I want to talk a little bit about personal ministry. Now you do all realize that you're ministers in the service of Jesus Christ, right? Well, anybody a minister? And, you know, we got piece of paper that say we're ordained ministers of the gospel. So are you. <laughs> I just have something on the wall collects dust. And we should keep these passages in mind 
when the devil, for one reason or another, keeps telling us that we're not good enough. We're not articulate enough. We're not eloquent enough in our speech. We're not good enough. In 1 Samuel 16, Samuel was on a search to find the new king for Israel. And because of Samuel's disobedience, he had been rejected. And God sent to Samuel to Bethlehem, a man to a man's house named Jesse, who had eight sons. And the first son of Jesse's, whose name was Eliab, and Samuel thought, sure, that's the one that would be anointed king. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at his heart. On Wednesday nights, we've been doing a study of Genesis and Exodus and things. Moses, he had all kinds of excuses why he couldn't do things. I can't speak. I fumble and stumble over my words. What's God say? Hey, you got a brother. He'll do all talking for you. God provides. We can't do things because we think we can't do things. When I was new in the ministry, and pastor can kind of attest to this, I think, a lot of times pastors get to talk to each other. And not in a malicious way, but... Usually on Monday, if there's a pastor's breakfast or something, the first question you hear is, well, how many did you have at church on Sunday? What did you run? Pat's saying, yeah, I heard that. You know, and, and I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm doing all the stuff that I think I can do, and I'm saying, well, I had 75, 80, and other people saying, oh, really, I had 300. I had 450. Really? <laughs> okay, what am I not doing right? We're in the same community. We're 10 miles away from each other. Our population base is the same. What What am I not doing? And then I had to realize God was putting people where he wanted them. He was putting the people in that church at Greenwood that he wanted there. Same as here. You know why you're here this morning? It's not by accident. You're here because God said, I want you to be here. And you get, you know, Cindy and I used to belong to a mega church in Jacksonville, First Baptist Jackson. You might have heard about it. On Sundays, it used to run like 6,000 people. Had an orchestra of 250, a choir of 300. Huge church. I said to myself, Hey, no way. If God's calling me to that, that's not my gig. <laughs> He's definitely got the wrong Fred Fitzgerald here. But, but I never, that was not my desire. I'm, I'm, I'm a small church guy. Because we can do life together. And we can impact each other. And we get to know each other. And the little things matter. One of the most touching things, I won't embarrass anybody, but I was having a bad day one day. 
wasn't saying much about it. Fellow came up, put his arm around me, and said, "Fred, how you doing today? I've been praying for you." Man, that was encouraging. It was a little thing, but it encouraged. It doesn't have to be a grand gesture. It's sometimes just the touch of a human directed by God. Let God use you as he wants to use you, not as you want to be used. In the margin of my Bible, I this morning came across this. I had written, God is a God of hearts. God sees our hearts. He knows our hearts. He cultivates our hearts. So we need to understand what ministry is. See, what I'm doing this morning is not ministry. It's not. What I'm doing is I'm preaching, teaching. However, I would submit this. What we do during the week to make a positive difference on other people's lives, that's ministry. That's ministry. So I'd like you to remember this. Ministry is involved in small things. Little acts, small gestures in everyday service. When you look through Christ's life, everything shows that he was here serving. And when Christ comes to serve and not to be served, who am I to put in my two cents and say, well, they didn't get me a cup of coffee. We need to humble ourselves. I have to apologize. I'm I'm a little short this morning, but I want to give you a a little quiz. The teacher and me, I I like to give pop quizzes. Okay, ready? Guys, name the last five Heisman Trophy winners. Ladies, name the last five winners of the Miss America contest. All right, everyone, name the last 10 people who have either won a Nobel Prize or a, uh, what I say, a Pulitzer Prize, and Sheldon Cooper doesn't count. (laughs) All right, here you go, here's a big one, most of you can answer this, I'm sure. Name the Academy Award winners for Best Actor and Actresses in 1982. Those are pretty big things, right? At that moment in time, but look how inconsequential they are. Let me give you another quiz. List a teacher who aided you through your journey through school. Name a friend that helped you through a difficult time. Name someone 
who taught you something worthwhile. Think of someone who made you feel special and appreciated. You see, the people who make differences in our lives are not the ones with the most credentials or the most money or the most letters after their name. It's the ones who do things, the little things, with a big heart. Okay. Mother Teresa said this, We can do no great things, only small things with great love. There's a lot of truth to that. But we limit ourselves. We say we trust God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But then when the rubber meets the road, I don't know about that. You know, pastor's been, I don't want to say cajole, but encouraging, imploring that we take time to start a Bible study at your home. Or start a life group. Or go to a life group. And we find ways to say, well, you know what? If I had 10 people, there's really not parking in my neighborhood. Or, you know, Tuesday night I have bowling and Thursday is movie night. Now it just doesn't work in the schedule. We should take the opportunities. We make excuses. And you all have heard the colloquial phrase, but what excuses are. (laughs) You know, my challenge to you is to take the opportunity. Be bold. Be fearless. Be courageous. Not trusting in your own abilities, but trusting that the Holy Spirit be with you, guiding you, encouraging you, making it clear what He wants us to do. We have a hard time with that, though. I want to do it my way. I want to do it my way. You know, not everyone is called to go on a mission trip. And I've been to some places, Bulgaria and Haiti and all those sexy places. Now, if I ask Cindy, do you want to go to Bulgaria? Not in her best day. Not not in her wheelhouse. But she can encourage people who go. She can support people who go. Well, I'm old and I can't do anything. Okay, how many of you old guys, Bill, you have a computer? You got a phone that you can text on? I know you do because you you all ordered stuff on Amazon because I see those trucks running around like crazy. (laughs) How about a little text to someone saying, you know, brother, I love you today. Or is there anything I can do for you? 
We make excuses. It's the little things. It's the little things. We do things for our community. And on the scale of things, they're like, they don't even get attention anywhere except for us or the people that we're impacting. You give $10 worth of gas to somebody and you were think you thought you gave them gold bullion. Why are you doing this? I love God. I love people. So what did it take for us? Some money and time. Anybody watch more than two hours of TV a night? Come on, I know, I know you do, because you, most of you are watching three hours of Fox and then something else. <laughs> but you can find the time if you want to find the time. And that's my challenge. Don't, you know, is John Kateri this morning? When you start playing baseball in Little League, do you think you're going to end up in the Hall of Fame? I play Babe Ruth ball. Do you think I'm saying, hey, there's my, it's up there at Cooperstown right now, just waiting for me to come? No. I couldn't hit the curve. <laughs> Had a good glove, but couldn't hit the curve. But I help my team in little ways. And that's what it's all about. You know, we like we live in a society that we want the accolades. We want the the attaboys and wow, look at this church. They just gave a half a million dollars to Samaritan's Purse. Now Samaritan's Purse would probably enjoy that. Or would they rather have a bunch of folks from Faith Fellowship go on a mission team and work with people? Is it the little things or the big things? Little things matter. Little things matter. And most of the time we don't realize that we're even doing things that make the greatest impact on people's lives. You know, Pastor Collins has said this many, many times. Love God. Love people. Isn't that what we're all about? Love God. Love people. Now, I'm going to close so that the uh, worship guys. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm not on the top of my game today, and I apologize. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Alex. You're far too kind. Hey, listen, I, I'm going to give the plan of salvation because I believe it's important. But I'm not going to call you up and tell you to raise your hand. With all heads bowed, eyes closed, raise your hand. I'm not going to do that. There's two ways to let us know if you want to make that confession of faith. Or if you have questions or comments, you can go to the Connect card. And I know Mr. Grape is well-versed with QR codes. <laughs> you can do that and go right online. And we would love to hear from you.
that you know what? Today was the day I have accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. It's a little thing, isn't it? But it has such impact for eternity. It's probably just saying the ABCs, admit, believe, and confess. Okay, that's pretty simple stuff. But you have made a decision that will impact eternity. And that's a big deal. That's a big deal. So this morning, if, if you haven't accepted the Lord as your personal Savior, um, I don't know what's in people's hearts. I, I, I don't. But I do know that Scripture tells us that we must be born again. And the Scripture tells us that simple process is to admit that we're sinners. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And then to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lord, King of Kings. He came to earth. He took our sin debt, suffered the most painful death on the world of all time, and then miraculously on the three, third day he rose again in fulfillment of Scripture. Most people are pretty good with those two things. I can do that. Then it's the confession. We don't like to do that so much because we have to be honest. And we have to admit that we're sorry and that we need help, that we can't do it by ourselves. And the little things of life, when we let them fester, the little irritants, the little the little trials and tribulations that we start making anthills into the Himalayas, Christ says, I'm with you, and I forgive you. That's such an awesome gift that he gives us. This morning, if you, if you say that little prayer, Father, Lord, I, I admit that I'm a sinner and that your son Jesus Christ is King of Kings. He died for me, died so that I could have eternity with you in heaven, to took away my sin that I could never pay. And Lord, I am sorry that I have offended you in so many ways, so many actions, thoughts, and deeds. Lord, I ask for your forgiveness. And I, I know that I, I'm not perfected. And I ask for your Holy Spirit to come and be with me at all times, to guide me, to comfort me, to, to reproach me, to, to just lift me up. If you say a prayer like that or in your own words, based on the authority of Scripture, you are now declared to be a born-again believer. And the kingdom of heaven is yours. We will worship and praise God. What an awesome thing. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.